Today, an open, honest, real conversation about the price of divorce. This is the Seven Figures Podcast, smart money strategies for women with Sandy Waters. Seven Figures is sponsored by Family First Credit Union. When it comes to financial education, earning and learning go hand in hand. And Family First is here to help you and the greater Rochester community with both. Thank you for squeezing time out of your busy day to be here with us, being part of our community, Financially Confident Women. It is something that makes a lot of us feel uncomfortable. We don't want to ever cross that bridge. But you know what? No matter how hard you try sometimes, relationships end. Divorce happens. And for some reason, a lot of women put up this facade, this charade, like everything is perfectly okay and they're mentally fine with the divorce and financially fine. We don't talk enough about that part of it specifically, right? So that's what we're here for, right? This is the No Judgment Zone. And my good friend, Sheila Kennedy, is with us. She's a publisher and an author writing about the practices of successful and abundant entrepreneurship. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I always love being with you. (laughs) So you're an author and a writer, but you have done a lot of coaching too. You were coined the confidence coach for a while there in your career. I mean, you've done a lot in your in your <laughs> lifetime. Um, so you have seen and heard the stories from women who come to you and say, gosh, I am in such a rut. And I think it's because of the divorce that I went through. So can you first let's talk financially. What are the things that people don't talk about? What are the surprises that a lot of women are are faced with? Well, I think you know, lawyer fees are one of them. Well, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, depending on how amicable the divorce is, whether you go through mediation, whether you go through, you know, those are expenses that just pop up that you don't expect. And if there's trouble or conflict along the way, that gets more and more expensive. You know, I, when I think about my lawyer fees over the course of my divorce, uh, that, you know, was probably one of the biggest surprises. And so, Having not that you're preparing for that way as you're married, but at the same time, making sure that when you enter into a marriage, you have a fund that is just yours and that you contribute to it regularly. And, and you know uh, the things that are going on financially in your marriage, because if you don't, uh, you're going to get caught by surprise and you're not going to know what assets yeah. are available to you and what you're splitting and all of those kinds of things. And I think that was a big surprise too when I got divorced is that, you know, I had all of these I, assets that, you know, I knew we had, I had been the money manager <clears throat> for most of my you know, marriage. Um, but at the same time, I was like, I, I really didn't pay that much attention to it. And, and when it came to now I have half of this to, manage, mm-hmm. I just kind of left it sitting because I was just overwhelmed oh, by all of it. it. Oh. I didn't know what to do with it. So, um, and I didn't like the financial planner we had had. And I definitely didn't like him after we got divorced. And <laughs> and I never sought another one out. You know, my I had family that was in the financial industry, so they helped me out. But at the same time, I didn't really, you know, they didn't press me. They didn't make sure that I was doing I was more proactive with it than I was. See, again, yeah. we we just put on this right. show like, it's fine. I'm fine. Yeah. I, everything is okay. Mm-hmm. But in reality, 
you're not doing things that you should be doing. No. So what specifically do you wish that you did differently? Maybe somebody listening can learn from your mistake. You know, we had Roth IRAs, we had 401ks, you know, things like that. They all got split. And that was great. And so I just had it all sitting in a fund. And then, but I used that as an emergency fund. So that was my savings. And so, you know, that's not really what it was for. So now when it comes time for retirement, you know, Mm -hmm. well, 20 years from now, but um, (laughs) I think I'll work till I'm 80. But anyway, that's not 20 years from now. But um, I, you know, slowly tapped into that because it was always there and I had access to it. And if it had been rolled over into a different fund that I would have been penalized if I had taken taken Mm. from it, then I wouldn't I wouldn't have tapped into that. But there was that false sense of security that that money's always there. And now 10 years later, it's not necessarily there anymore. And so, okay, how could I have done that differently? So I would have rolled money over into something more substantial uh, right away instead of waiting until now and or, you know, a couple Mm -hmm. years ago. And uh, because that really hurt me. I wasn't as worried about making money because, oh, I had that fund and I had that money. And so because of that, I did I wasn't, you know, I took my foot off the gas pedal Mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, I didn't worry quite as much, and I wish I had been more proactive about that. Do you think a lot of women, too, because you said um, in our conversations that we've had together, mm-hmm. I know in the beginning you were very engaged with the finances. You were running mm-hmm. the family budget, and then you started to work a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And is that when you kind of push the responsibility to your husband more so you can... Well, and I think my situation was unique that, you know, I was an army spouse. And so I, yes, I did. I was in charge of all of the finances because he was never around. Mm. <laughs> so he was gone a lot. And so once he got out of the army and I had, you know, I ended up getting a job and well, actually a couple of them, I started a business. I was teaching full time. I had the house to run. I had, you know, my daughter to take care of all of those things. I was extremely active in volunteerism, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so it was a little bit much to now also manage all of the the money of the house. So I did, you know, when he said, hey, I'm home, I'll take care of that. I was like, amen, here you go. Like, I'm I'm A lot of women do that, sure. And, uh, but then when I did that, when I relinquished that control, if you will, um, Money started disappearing. Things, you know, yeah. I, I had no idea. So that when it, we came to the divorce table or the mediation table, I really didn't know what was there anymore. I wasn't keeping up with that and that kind of thing. And I think that really hurt me in the long run. And um, so I would definitely encourage people to be an active part, as you're married, to be an active part mm-hmm. of the decision making and, and how money gets spent and what get, it gets spent on every month and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, because, you know, in the event that you do end up getting divorced, you will have a better handle on what's available to you. Yeah. Did you have, because now Erica Cummings is in every month with us. Um, She's our financial planner, VP at Morgan Stanley, and she gives us tasks, something to work on for the month. So this month it was get all your paperwork together, make sure you are joint on the credit cards Mm -hmm. with your spouse. She Mm -hmm. said a lot of women Mm -hmm. just assume. And then when the divorce happens, you are left with no credit score Mm -hmm. because you haven't been building the credit throughout. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Are there any of those warnings that you can give us any? Well, I would establish credit 
as a married person, I would have my own credit cards. So, you know, it actually worked opposite for us. I All of the cards were in my name. And so I had the credit. And not, oh, good. You know, <laughs> so, um, you know, he bought the house. I had all the other stuff. So, um, you know, those are the kinds of things. But, you know, having a payment history, having something to show that yeah. you have so that your credit score doesn't take a hit. Um, and it's hard to get credit after a, a while uh, if you haven't had it. So to make sure that you even have something small that you can have in your name that can establish that you are, you know, credible and, and can pay and, you know, all of those kinds of things. And that's going to help. Before we get to now, because you say there's another price to pay when it comes to divorce, it's the healing process, mm. right? The mental and the building back up your confidence. So I want to get to that point. But first, Conversations Like This One is sponsored by Family First Credit Union, a helpful, educated team in our community that enjoys helping you live a financially healthy life. Dear friend, Sheila Kennedy is with us today. She's a publisher, an author, writer about practices of successful and abundant entrepreneurship. Now, entrepreneurs, you guys are like a pretty resilient bunch, <laughs> right? You do not give up. You will always succeed. After a divorce, in the middle of a divorce, that's kind of what you need, mm. right? You need that mindset of, okay, I'm going to come out the other side and I'm going to heal and I'm going to feel good and I'm going to be better than I ever was. Take us through this. What would you advise is the best way to heal? Mm. Well, um, I think the first thing is to acknowledge that you need to heal, right? You know, like we like to just, we're on survival mode, you know, especially once you get in the middle of the divorce proceedings yeah. and, and afterwards, you're still like, okay, how am I going to survive this, right? And not all of them are, are horrible and some of them are amicable and, mm -hmm. you know, I don't, but even those, you still have, have changed the dynamic of a relationship. Somebody was important enough to you to marry them. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when that's gone, so there's, you know, sometimes a loneliness, there's sometimes self-esteem issues, there's confidence issues, you know, there's, there's things that are, that come up with that. Uh, even if you're happy and thrilled that you did this and it was you that initiated it, everything else, there are going to be moments where you're like, was it that bad? Did I really need to do that? You know, those kinds of mm -hmm. things. And that changes our decision-making. When we get stuck in that kind of energy, I think that changes our decision-making. And, and so maybe you don't try for the job that you really want or you think you deserve or you don't ask for the raise because, well, I kind of messed up this marriage thing. Maybe I really can't be trusted or you don't trust yourself to make mm -hmm. those decisions. I think that that's a big issue for a lot of women that are divorced is that now do I trust myself to make a good decision because – Here's the most one of the most important decisions I made. I now have changed my mind about. So, yeah. do I really feel the same way about myself moving forward? And so, we tend to be more cautious. We don't tend to be as we don't risk take as much as we would normally. Um, maybe you know. I mean, like again, everybody's different. But I, this is what I've seen in my coaching practice. I've seen this, you know. And it was funny, even when I had my home staging business. I would often, well, I won't say often, but I had clients that were selling their house because they were getting divorced. And so the difference between the male sometimes and the, and the female about how what we did with the house in order to prep it to sell was very different. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. Yeah, right, right, you know, very different. And so walking couples through 
who gets what and and what gets to stay and and who leaves and those kinds of things. I mean, that was something that I I did get the opportunity to do long before I was ever divorced. <laughs> so, do you feel like and now I've I've heard a lot of women talk about this that they just want it all to be over and done with. Mm-hmm. They want to get to the point in their life where they can heal. Mm-hmm that they give up things that they shouldn't. Well, and I think we have to be careful with the word shouldn't, right? Because, you know, are there things I walked away with no furniture? I walk, you know, I wanted to start fresh. Now, looking back, when I think about all of the money I spent re redoing everything, yeah. you know, buying all of the things, furniture and because I wanted it to be new and I wanted it to be mine and, you know, I went out and bought a red sofa. Like because I knew that that was something he would never have let me Just do. Just you could. <laughs> <laughs> Everything he hated, right. you put in your I new did. house. <laughs> so, you know, and it was one of those situations. I went from a 3,000 square foot home to a 1,000 square foot townhouse. And, you know, had to, and I had three storage units. I mean, I had stuff everywhere because I couldn't get rid of it fast enough when, after we sold the house, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So I, when I sat back down and finally was like, oh, I could take a breath because you're in that survival mode. You're just doing what you have to do to get mm-hmm. through every day. Uh, I would have been like, okay, well, that was kind of stupid. Like, <laughs> There were things I might have done a little differently. Just saying. I mean, because now, 10 years later, I'm like, oh, you know, I I wonder where that, oh, well, yeah, you sold that because you needed money. But everybody goes through it. Yeah. So if you're going through it right now, see, it's completely normal. It is. Did you feel like through the process that you were able to openly talk about this? No, not at all. I mean, you know, like for the first probably two years, I don't even think people knew I was divorced. I mean, we, I just, because it was, it was just something that I didn't, we didn't talk about. We just showed up at things, you know, to support my daughter and things like that. So, I mean, yes, I mean, they knew I was probably Mm -hmm. divorced, but it wasn't until, um, I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want anybody to know it because I looked at it as, oh, my goodness, you know, you've you failed at this thing. Even now when divorce is so common, you still felt that. Yeah, because I told, you know, God and everybody I knew that I was going to love this man for the rest of my life. And uh. Darn it, I was going to be successful at that. And, you know, I mean, there were circumstances where that obviously didn't work out for, for very good reasons. And, uh, well, I mean, the reasons weren't good, but, I mean, hel- kept me healthy and, and, you know, whatever. But, um I think that there's a lot of people that there's a lot of shame. There's a lot of guilt that a lot of people who are in the middle of a divorce feel and they don't even acknowledge it until much later because, Mm -hmm. again, you're in survival mode. And when we're in that adrenaline rush, when we're in that fight or flight, we just do what we have to do to get by every day. And it isn't until a little bit later that you're like, okay, so what is it? A, who am I? Because for the last however many years, you have been identified as this person's wife. Mm-hmm. And so what does life look like when you're not attached to that partnership? And so what do you want? And how many times did you not do the things and not go to the restaurants and, and not eat the things that you wanted to or, or take vacations where you planned on because you were compromising? And mm-hmm. so when you get to be in that seat, you don't th- that you're the sole decision maker, you don't even know what you want. And so there's a process 
I think that everyone goes through to some extent where they get to evaluate who they are, what they want, where they want to go, how they want to get there. <laughs> so you would suggest the really sit down absolutely, and reflect oh, on yeah. really what, don't hide from it. Right. Well, and that's how my first book, You Had It All Along, that's how that came to be. That's why it came to be because it was, I was outside of the divorce, you know, a few years and mm-hmm. I really felt like I had no idea who I was. I had been defined by the roles I played in my marriage for so long. And I had no idea where I really wanted to go forward, but I had to remind myself that I was an okay person and that I, you know, wanting things was actually a good thing. <laughs> because, well, women in general, you know, I think we feel guilty when we say, right. even when we say we want more money. Yeah. I don't think we confidently say that enough. No. Money is good. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it a, it's a healthy good. thing. <laughs> yeah. Not not like being materialistic, that not necessarily, but it gives you confidence and freedom and, and courage and power, right? Absolutely. Power in a good way. Power yes. to control your future. Absolutely. Now, being a mom, though, what advice mm. would you give? Because a lot of women are so focused on wrapping their kids up because they Mm -hmm. I mean they feel so guilty right you have all this guilt and you watch your kids and now they've just witnessed a divorce and you want to wrap them up in bubble wrap and protect them uh, (laughs) from any emotional damage that you know what would you advise I think the thing I've learned the most is that I don't bubble wrap them let them experience the pain let them you know obviously support them and give them the tools and give them the resources if, if you're not capable of, of sharing those things with them. But when we protect them, we don't teach them how to handle it. We don't teach mm-hmm. them resilience. We don't teach them strength. We don't model that behavior either. And, you know, I had a very poignant conversation one day with my daughter, and she was having kind of a meltdown at school. And, um, you know, something had happened at school, and she, we were in the car, and she's kind of crying. And she's like, how would you know? You've never had a bad day. I was like, oh. whoa. Because I wanted to shield her from the tears. I would cry in the shower. I would, you know, all of those things. And so she had no idea that I had coping skills. (laughs) (laughs) You wish you had a a great day every day. Right. I was like, oh, my gosh, are you kidding me? (laughs) And so I started to clue her in when things weren't always wonderful and that Mm. there was a bad day happening. Because that's how I got to model coping skills for her. And, um, you know, it got to a point where she's like, okay, I think I might have liked you better when you did. <laughs> Get on my old mom back, the fake mom, please. Right. But, you know, I think that we, um, you know, we, we tried to perfect everything, yeah. right? And yeah. then when we get stuck in that energy, we're not helping them at all. We're not teaching them what real life really is. And so if we want them to be resilient people and we want them to be able to bounce back from, you know, the hardships of life, because inevitably they're going to find them. Um, I now have a very productive and, and ambitious 20-year-old who is doing very well because she learned that life doesn't always go her way. And so how do you problem solve? Um, if we just protect them from the things that we feel they shouldn't have had to experience, I don't think we're, I think we're doing them a disservice. Yeah. So, um, and we shield them from financial mistakes that we've made too. Absolutely. We tend to do that as well. Absolutely. You know, I. <laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I think about all of the money I've ever spent has been for my daughter, 
you know, like I didn't spend money on my self-care. I didn't spend money on my, you know, I would go without sure. underwear and, and, you know, for yeah, years. We're all nodding. We're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are wearing the same shirt that we wore right. before kids. I sure. Know. <laughs> exactly. Right. You know, thank God I'm small enough that I fit into those clothes still. But, um, you know, the thing is, is that I everything I spent was for her. Yeah. Because I didn't want her to feel that pinch as well. Mm. And, you know, it was okay for me to sacrifice, but I certainly didn't want her to sacrifice any more than she already had. She had already sacrificed her money or her family. Mm-hmm. How, now I'm going to ask her to sacrifice her well-being as well, you know, her, her needs. But, again, that... As she's gotten older and now she's being, you know, she's adulting um, and she doesn't know how to manage money and she doesn't know how to, you know, (laughs) she didn't know how to open her bank account. She didn't know how to get a job and all of those things. So protecting them really doesn't do them any service. Yes. Easier said than done. Absolutely. But, you know, I, if I could go back in time, I would have done things very differently. I would have made her part of the decision making process on how we spent money and what was important and things like that, because then she would have understood that how to do it in for herself. Yeah. But I wanted to make sure she didn't have to worry about that. How hard is it to talk highly of your ex? Cause mm-hmm. your reaction when you, when you talk to your close girlfriends, what are you doing? Well, he's such an, <laughs> you know what <laughs> There are a lot of people who will play the blame game to their kids. Well, we can't go on a trip because your father doesn't give me enough money or without even really realizing it. Well, I think part of it, and and this has always been my motivation, is (laughs) the golden rule. What would I want him to say about me? Uh, And so if I'm not willing to have, if I don't want him to say it about me, then I better watch myself and and not say it about him. Um, The other thing is that our kids are really smart and... They're going to, they figure it out. They figure out what's going on and, and, you know, who's Mm -hmm. doing what. And they're going to see your faults as much as they're going to see their their father's fault. Well, apparently your daughter didn't see any of your (laughs) faults in the beginning. Oh, she did. (laughs) But, but I think, you know, part of that is just um, giving them the tools to think critically about the situations. Yeah. They'll come to their own conclusions. And I won't need to feed that at all. And, you know, that has been one of the things that has been most telling about my success as a parent is that she's figured it out. And I didn't have to say one disparaging thing. Um, and so, you know, I think, again, if we're led by that, that rule of, okay, would you, if the tables were turned and he had the opportunity to trash talk you, would you want him to take that? Yeah. And what does that speak to your character? Because the beautiful thing about this this marriage, if you're a parent, is this child. And so what kind of doubts are you planning in them yeah. if you're constantly disparaging and blaming and, and all of those things? And even when you do that, it's going to taint their image of future relationships for themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I think that's one of the reasons why I left is that I didn't want her to think that it was okay. The way that things were going in our marriage, I didn't want her to think that that was the best way to have a relationship. Oh, see, now that's good re- advice right there because a lot of women stay yeah. um, because 
they do it for the kids. Right. Well, and <laughs> whenever somebody says that to me, all I can say is that you are doing them more of a disservice by staying and being in a loveless, you know, heartless partnership. Uh, you know, just you being in the same house. Yes, it's hard. I wouldn't d- wish divorce on my worst enemy. It is hard. There's, there's no doubt about it. But at the same time, the things that you're going to be able to teach them and prepare them for, you know, I wouldn't, I would never advocate staying if that was the only reason why you were staying. Yeah. Now you are big on finding the good out of anything, right? <laughs> I mean, you, you've said it before when you've been on, when, when a wall gets slammed in front of you, try to figure out a way around it. And then there'll be something better on the other side. What is that something better now for you? Hmm. Well, there's so much. I mean, I wouldn't be here talking to you if I hadn't gone through that experience, right? So the fact that I get to be on a podcast and I get to influence in some way how people may enter into a divorce or recover afterwards. I mean, what a blessing that is. So if that's the only reason why that was a, a good thing to experience. All for just I'm, today. I'm that's okay it. with that. Check done. I am okay with that. I'm like, all right. <laughs> but I think about all of the people, you know, that I have had the opportunity yeah. uh, to, you know, I mean, I've written four books. I have published 10. I have, you know, been a part of a marketing campaign for eight more uh, when I think about what those voices have been in, in the marketplace, in the world, and, you know, whatever, none of that would have happened if I was still married. And you have influenced a lot of people. That's what got you and I together mm-hmm. was your very first book when I read it. And I'm like, this is remarkable. <laughs> it, really, that's where our friendship started, right? right. And yeah. from your first book, there was so much positivity from that book you did open up and and let us peer into your life through the divorce and and how you recovered and it was like well if Sheila can do it well then I can too right (laughs) right well everybody's capable everybody has the tools it's just they might not know what they are yet but we've given we've been given everything we need and um, we're always supported in everything we do and it doesn't always feel that way because it sometimes is painful Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's challenging and you want, we want ease and we want to, be, we want abundance to be without strings attached, <laughs> right? We just want to receive it. Yes. We don't want to work for it. An instant gratification. Um, yeah, sure. Absolutely. We don't you know, sit on the living room floor and say, I want money. Right. It, well, that's fantastic. It's uh, been five minutes. Have right? I healed yet? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the healing process is hard. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, the information that I've gleaned about trauma recovery and, you know, healing and and all of those things, um, I never would have had the opportunity to even know because I was one of those, you know, callous perfectionists that had no time for emotion and had no time for, uh, you know, building relationships that were really real and authentic with people because I was so busy worrying about what they were going to think if they Mm. knew what my life was really like. And so, you know, I get to live so differently and I get to show up so differently. And so, you know, that's that's something I never would have had if I was still married. I feel like, too, now, and I don't know if it was because of the Me Too movement or what it was, <laughs> but I feel like women are aligning together more. 
I feel like we are openly talking to each other a little mm-hmm. bit more. Just with the the feedback that we get from the podcast, it's like it's a nice space to be in where right. we are all going through the same fears and you know emotions. Yeah. Well, you know, life is messy, and I don't know why we keep thinking we have to tell people it's not. There's nobody that's exempt from messiness. And yet we try to paint these broad, beautiful strokes of this perfect life or this ideal life. And there isn't anybody that yeah, has true. achieved that. There's not one person that has had a carefree, perfect life. And so I think once we finally start, you know, <laughs> pulling down those walls and pulling down those barriers yeah. and, and are able to show our true colors, we find that we have sisterhood. We find that, you know, we do have a, a group of people that feel the same way that we yes. do. And that's comforting and that's empowering. No, there's strength in numbers, right? You know, I mean, when we stop looking at people as competition and we start looking at them as collaborators, think about what we can do. Strength in numbers, right? And so, you know, I'm I'm really glad that we're finally getting that that download that you know we don't have to do this alone first of all and second of all we can support each other and not take anything away we're actually adding again it's you get make strides forward and you have a hand backwards pulling somebody else up with you right and that's a true measure of of our character I think and I think people are recognizing that because we've lacked mentors because we've lacked role models um, for so long that it's important to step up and be that Mm -hmm. person and, uh, you know, I mean, that's why, do I love coming on radio or podcasts, whatever, saying, okay, I've made lots of financial mistakes. I've, you know, I have done all kinds of things that I wish I had done differently. I've made decisions that were not in my best interest. However, if I don't share that I've made those mistakes, then the people coming behind me, <laughs> they yeah. might make the same ones. And why wouldn't I want to make life easier for somebody that came behind me? Yeah. Or, you know, coming up after me. Uh, so, yeah, I just don't. I mean, that's why I started publishing books, because I didn't have a positive experience and I didn't want anybody else to have that same kind of experience. So I'm going to create a, a culture where we're helping each other instead of, you know, <laughs> just fending yeah. for ourselves, because that doesn't help anybody. So how can we get a hold of you and give us a place to go to 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 get your books. Oh, okay. So, I mean, they're on Amazon, but we can also uh, go to thezebrainc.com and they, you know, they'll all be there. And then the authors that I've also published, I have an author page. And so all of their books are available there as well um, with links there. And, you know, there's a couple that I think would be fantastic resources. And I think you've had guests on the show that, uh, you know, Caitlin, well, I think she penned that under Kristen Paul. She did Freeing Yourself Financially. It was a, it's a guide for divorced women about finances. I mean, fantastic book, mm-hmm. um, you know, things like that. So that all of that information would be on thezebrainc.com, and it's I-N-K, so not I-N-C. Uh, and we'll put all the links in the yeah, show notes. Perfect, below. perfect. Sheila, thank you so much for thank being you. so honest and open with us. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Okay, next Friday is the first Friday of the month, so that means Erica Cummings, the VP at Morgan Stanley, will be back in. And our focus for next month is investing. Investing 101. 
the terms that you should know about, and how that word, investing, should not intimidate you. Because actually, women are much better at it. Have a fantastic weekend, and now, like we end every podcast episode, raise your glass, whether it's a glass of wine, a cup of coffee, or a glass of water. Cheers to being financially confident women. If you have a personal finance question or feedback about the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to Sandy at sandy at rochesterbuzz.com. New episode every Friday. Listen, subscribe, and tell a friend about the 7 Figures podcast. Smart money strategies for women.